This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Well, as you know, if you're a regular listener, we like to start each program with On This Date in History, which makes today's program on June 18th especially interesting because it was 200 years ago today that Napoleon Bonaparte's dreams of military conquest of Europe finally came to an end. So we start today's program with a word or two about that most decisive day in world history. To quote from a day-by-day review of world events, we would note that the diminutive Corsican, Napoleon Bonaparte, had instilled himself as dictator of France in 1799. This came in the wake of the chaos of the French Revolution, during which time the Machiavellian artillery commander managed to change sides, I think, more than once and in the process gain more power. He subsequently betrayed most all of the principles of the French Revolution, and made himself emperor, at which point he began to drench Europe in blood as he aspired to expand France and French rule over the continent. By all accounts, he was a military genius and did very well for himself until he attempted to conquer Russia. That didn't pan out. Forced to abdicate in 1814, He was exiled on the island of Elba in the Mediterranean, but he escaped, and despite his uh, getting hundreds of thousands of his French citizens killed in his military meandering, people rallied to him, and he again took charge of the nation of France. But at the Battle of Waterloo, on this date, exactly 200 years ago, Napoleon met his match in the English Duke of Wellington, assisted by forces under the command of the Prussian Marshal Blucher. Napoleon was again forced to abdicate, only this time they stuck him out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on the island of St. Helena, where he died. Very possibly poisoned by the British. One of the most astonishing things about Napoleon is how he was this charismatic figure that people just aligned themselves with. He apparently once said, and I'm heavily paraphrasing here upon reading the speech of Julius Caesar in Shakespeare's play, But all that was nonsense. He, Napoleon, knew how to motivate people. And evidently he did. All right, on today's program we expect to have uh, some input on the cinema from our good pal, Mr. Gary Chu. Our quote of the day requires a bit of setup. And sorry to be so long-winded at the top of the program. But this quote does require a bit of framing. According to the New York Times, a still unnamed 32-year-old 32-year-old Brooklyn man, went to the police last month to report that he was out $714,000, which he had given to a psychic. Yes, over a 20-month period, fortune teller Priscilla Kelly DeMarco had assured the client that she'd be able to help him with his love life. 
She told the man that his trouble came from the fact that there was a spirit, there was a spirit stalking him. She needed $28,000 to get rid of the spirit, and then, well, another 28000 Evidently, the spirit explanation sounded right to the guy. A month later, Psychic Del Moro suggested they perform a fake funeral to make the spirit think the man was dead. That'll be another 40000 thank you very much. By December of last year, the psychic told the guy that they needed to lure the spirit over a bridge of gold. And it would be an 80-mile-long bridge and $1,000 a mile. So how does 80000 sound? Sounded good to the guy. In fact, they added a 10-mile-longer bridge after that for another 90000 He was quoted as saying, although this is not our quote of the day, I thought to myself, I have the money just sitting in the bank. When evidently in February, the woman he was chasing died unexpectedly. When the shattered man told the psychic, she said, don't worry about it. She would reincarnate the woman into the body of another 31-year-old. The guy even met the purported match in Los Angeles, and she turned out to be a 24-year-old, and not what he expected. That's when he went to the police. Which finally sets up our quote of the day. This man recalled his disappointment upon meeting the new Michelle to police, and said, quote, This caused me to start thinking that Delmaro wasn't everything she was purporting to be. And dear listener, though we may laugh at the plight of this young man, what can we say about the Republicans of this country? There's talk of running yet another Bush for president. At some point, don't you think the populace at large might say that, well, they might want to start thinking that the Bush family wasn't everything it's purporting to be? Yeah, Jeb says he's going to go take on the Washington elites. Isn't that even crazier than a fake funeral to fool a spirit? Anyway, this might be a good time for our good news item of the week which is that African elephants are managing to escape to safe havens in countries that don't have rampantly corrupt governments. This is protecting them somewhat from the poaching going on. Yes, evidently the elephants have headed off to Botswana, Gabon, Namibia, and Uganda. The director of the Wildlife Conservation Society told the press that he he credits the government actions taking place, which include well-disciplined military patrols to help protect elephants and the sharing of revenue from tourist dollars with locals to give them an incentive to protect wildlife. Our stat of the day is $242,000. That's what KFC is seeking in damages from some of its competitors in China for allegedly spreading a rumor that KFC sells mutant chickens bred with eight legs and six wings each. This rumor is apparently rampant on Chinese social media, where microblogs carry articles accompanied by altered photos of deformed-looking chickens, and evidently many Chinese consumers believe it. We'll have more to say about social media before today's program is over. Our anecdote... For today's program is that Malaysian authorities have now arrested four Western tourists for posing naked on the country's highest peak, Mount Kinabalu. Some Malaysians say this offended mountain spirits and caused a deadly earthquake. Evidently, two Canadians, a British woman and a Dutch man, were among ten hikers on Mount Kinabalu. They split off from their larger tour group and stripped for photos, defying guides who asked them to respect the sacred 13,000-foot peak. Less than a week after the tourist stunt, an earthquake rocked the area, killing 18 people. Said Joseph Karin Kittingan, deputy minister of the Sabah state, there is almost certainly a connection. 
Local beliefs and customs are not to be disrespected. Authorities are reportedly seeking the six other tourists as well. Mr. McMillan speculates that perhaps a 90-mile-long bridge of gold will help appease these spirits. Uh, I don't know. May- maybe. Our joke of the day for today's program comes from the writers for Jimmy Fallon. So from the Tonight Show monologue, we have this. How about this woman, Rachel Dolezal, in Spokane, Washington? She was president of the Spokane chapter of the NAACP, but was exposed as a white woman who was pretending to be black. A lot of people are upset, especially her white friends who thought they had at least one black friend. And uh, apropos to the topic of pretending to be something, in this case black, we do have to reveal to our listenership, which I believe we did several years ago, but it's worth pointing out again, that as much as the host of this program enjoys James Brown, and I went to go see him twice, I'm a fan, we must unveil the little-known fact that on the recording of Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud, the children in the chorus were made up almost exclusively of Chinese children. So while they may indeed be proud, the fact of the matter is, they're definitely not black. Something else that struck me this week was the cover of The Week magazine. The drawing on the cover is of Caitlyn Jenner under the headline, A New Kind of Hero? And I must confess, I don't quite get the hero part. And I was further struck by some commentaries by Rabbi Michael Knopf, writing in Haaretz, which I think I'll quote from briefly. The article's titled, Why is Rachel Dolezal any different from Caitlyn Jenner? Writing in Israel's leading leftist publication, the rabbi asked, Why is it that a person born with male anatomy can self-identify and live as a woman? but someone born into a Czech-slash-German body can't self-identify as African-American. Is gender identity a construct, while racial identity is inextricably connected to one's biology? These are questions I've been wrestling with since the Rachel Dolezal story set off a firestorm of negativity and derision, while Caitlyn Jenner's courageous and beautiful act of honest self-expression was widely, and rightly, celebrated. I am, of course, not the only one who's been considering these questions in recent days. The rabbi goes on later. The problem, however, is that human beings created in the image of a boundless God are virtually infinite in their complexity. We thus frequently defy those neat categories in which society longs to place us. What if Dalazal didn't fabricate her racial identity, but rather expressed an understanding of her identity that was more composite, more complicated, and more fluid than the typical social categories allow? In other words, what if she checked off the box saying black because she genuinely felt black or because there are aspects of her biography that make her feel more black than not? What if, instead of assuming Dalazal is a fraud, we acknowledge that all of us have, to varying degrees, composite identities, and some of us identify in ways that are at variance with our biology, even if those ways aren't always publicly recognized or socially acceptable? 
What if we acknowledge the fact that at some point or another, each of us ends up checking off boxes because our social systems ask us to, even though those boxes don't fully articulate who we are? Well, interesting points from Rabbi Knopf. In a trivial but relevant comparison, I would note that in filling out some forms in the last week, I was asked to mark a box on race. I always find it odd that there's a box for white and a box for Hispanic. Hispanic tends to be a rather crappy term that is very imprecise. Now, if a person, such as myself, of Portuguese ancestry is asked to choose between white or Hispanic, I always joke and say, you know, I'm pretty brown. I'm not sure where I fit into this. And indeed, the line of demarcation seems to be that if you're born on the eastern side of the Portuguese-Spanish border, you are Hispanic. But if you're born on the west side or from the islands uh, out in the Atlantic, the Azores or the Madeira Islands, well, then, then apparently you're as white as the Prince of Wales. So yeah, it's good not to get caught up in labels. Anyway, the rabbi closed off with Jewish tradition urges us to build a world where all people, regardless of how they appear to the outside, are treated equally. And it further invites us not to feel limited by our biology in the pursuit of that world. More importantly, it demands we not impose limitations on others, like Caitlyn Jenner's or, or Rachel Dolezal's, especially when they are striving to build that world to come. All right, since we're already talking about politics and race and sex, this is Radio Parallax after all, let's... Let's take a stab here at this news story about the so-called, quote, female Viagra, unquote. And no, we will not be addressing the issue of which variety Caitlyn Jenner should currently be taking. But the fact is, folks, uh, the headline writers have no business calling this female Viagra. And I can think of no better summary for that than the old Rita Rudner joke, which is that women need a reason to have sex. Men just need a place. The fact of the matter is, Viagra is a drug that increases blood flow. When, for whatever reason, men do not have adequate blood flow below the waist and in other places, but particularly below the waist, and it doesn't matter whether it's the plumbing itself or whether it's the electrical system that activates the plumbing, when the vessels don't dilate like they're supposed to, you've got a problem. This impacts the ability to achieve an erection. Viagra, Cialis, these other medications of that class are able to increase blood flow and in many instances solve the problem of ED. These statistics show that men suffering from this affliction can find relief about 60% of the time with pills. And happily for guys who find themselves in that unlucky 40%, most of them can be successfully treated with injections of Trimix. But no matter how you're doing it, you're working on the plumbing. You're increasing the blood supply and increasing the flow in the pipes. But so-called female Viagra is a completely different beast. This drug, phlebanserin, isn't doing anything to increase blood flow. It's working on the libido. Its mission is to increase desire. In the male of the species, this is generally not an issue. This correspondent is somewhat skeptical of this drug. Women have to take it every day, whether or not they want to have sex. And most importantly, unlike little blue pills or shots that work by increasing blood flow to the genitals, phlebanserin alters brain chemistry. It has been rejected by the FDA twice before. The agency requested further trials and safety data. 
I mean, last week, the FDA's advisory panel gave it the thumbs up, but they expressed concerns about its side effects, which include sleepiness, drops in blood pressure, and fainting. And if the truth be told, uh, at least according to the stats, its effects on sexual desire are limited. The couples on it had sex an average of once a month extra, up from two or three times a month. So you're going from two or three to three or four. And by the way, like a lot of drugs that alter brain chemistry, well, we're not entirely clear how they work. Researchers point to its ability to boost dopamine, a brain chemical associated with appetite, while lowering serotonin, which is linked to feelings of satiation. Now, the articles about this have pointed out that a lot of doctors already prescribe other antidepressants without FDA approval to try and treat sexual desire disorders. But I do want to get in a bit of a soapbox here before leaving the topic and point out that um, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and other antidepressants like Prozac, et cetera, Effexor, are, are pretty much passed out like candy in contemporary America. But I do wish the people on them and the doctors that prescribe them would take a good hard look at the rate of sexual dysfunction associated with their use. The best of them run around 25%. Yeah, 25%, one in four. The worst of them run in the range of 80%, meaning four out of five will experience sexual dysfunction. That is something to think about. All right, how about we do the good, the bad, and the ugly? All right, according to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for bad spelling after American Pharaoh, spelled P-H-A-R-O-A-H instead of the more traditional P-H-A-R-A-O-H, became the first racehorse in 37 years to win the Triple Crown. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for technology with the news that Apple has now revealed it has a new mobile operating system that will allow users to use their iPhones to track when, how often, and what exactly they do when they have sex. And we have an item to play off that in a moment. But it was also an ugly week last week for technology, with the news that a British burglar volunteered to be fitted with a police GPS tracker and then was later arrested after he came out of the string of burglaries while wearing the device. Evidently, Nicholas Broadley, age 33, wore the tracker as part of a program to help career criminals go straight. But when police checked his movements, they discovered he'd been at the scene of three home break-ins. Broadley pled guilty to burglary and was sentenced to four years in prison. Said his defense attorney, he's not the sharpest tool in the box. And finally, it's probably a good, bad, or ugly week for sitting, depending on how you look at it. But the verdict is in, and this is the bad part, that a growing body of research has found that hours of sitting triggers a destructive chain reaction in the body, slowing metabolism, altering hormones, raising cholesterol, and weakening muscles. Over time, the result is a heightened risk of diabetes, cardiovascular diseases, weight gain, cancer, and shortened life. Here's the ugly part. When they run the stats, scientists say prolonged sitting does as much health damage as smoking cigarettes. 
And the negative effects of eight to 10 hours at a desk can't be undone by exercising before or afterwards, apparently. But to the silver lining to all this is that researcher Gavin Bradley told the Washington Post last week that the key is to avoid sitting for more than 30 minutes at a time. He advises taking your calls standing, walking around, pacing, holding standing meetings, and how about this one? Walking over to a colleague's desk instead of sending an email. And of course, when possible, use the stairs instead of the elevator. Gavin Bradley says that people should aim to increase their standing time from two to four hours. However you do it, the point is just to get off your rear end, he said. You know, at this point, we should return to the immortal James Brown for his advice on this. Get up off of that thing and dance to do, you better. Get up off of that thing and dance to do, sing it now. Get up off of that thing and dance to you, you better. Get up off of that thing and try to release that pressure. Get up off yes. Whenever possible, get up off of that thing. This might be a good time to take a break. Let's do that. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. We've got plenty more. Stick around. Get up off of that thing. Try to release that pressure. Get up off. Huh.